Hello and welcome to the death of the Roman Republic. Chapter 1. Rise of the Republic. If you didn't catch the series introduction, this podcast is going to examine how the Roman Republic, a government in which leaders were elected, shared power, and checked and balanced each other so Rome could not be dominated by one man, became dominated by one man. It's the story of how the Roman Republic transformed into the Roman Empire, ruled by the Roman Emperor. This transformation took about 100 years to complete, from 133 BCE to 27 BCE. However, before we get there, it's important to know how we got a Roman Republic in the first place, and how it worked. So in this episode, we're going to blitz through over 500 years of history and highlight big historical events that helped define Rome. Ah, before we really get going, to note about the abbreviation BCE, it stands for Before Common Era. You may be more familiar with BC as Before Christ, BCE is a different way to say a similar thing. Dates also count backwards. 753 BCE is longer ago than 133 BCE. Our essential question you should try to keep in mind throughout the episode is, how did the Roman Republic become so powerful? To note, violence, suicide, and sexual assault will all be described this episode. As stated in the series introduction, Rome was a kingdom before it was a republic. One of many small communities in Italy, Rome was founded by the mythical King Romulus. Six kings would rule after Romulus from 753 BCE to 509 BCE, almost 250 years. In 509 BCE, Rome's last king, Tarquinius Superbus, was driven out of Rome after his son raped a woman named Lucretia. By Roman standards, Lucretia was a model woman, subordinate to her husband, and lived to serve him. Lucretia killed herself after revealing she had been raped by the king's son. This drove Romans into a frenzy, and they would expel their corrupt tyrant. This change was supposedly led by Lucius Junius Brutus. Brutus and other Romans would not elect a new king, but create a whole new government. They called it the Republic. Instead of being led by a king, the Republic would be led by two equals, called consuls. The two consuls could veto each other's power to check and balance each other from abusing power. Furthermore, the consuls would be elected every year. No longer would there be a king to rule for life, but two consuls elected annually, because no one man should have all that power. Brutus was one of the first two consuls, and when his sons conspired to overthrow the young republic, Brutus presided over their executions. In 509 BCE, the Roman Republic was still just one of many small communities in Italy. Now, our operation is small, but there's a lot of potential for aggressive expansion. And aggressively expand she did. In 376 years, Rome went from a single city in Italy to the undisputed master of the Mediterranean. The Republic had far expanded its borders and had no rivals. Expansion came at a high price, and the Republic suffered notable defeats to King Pyrrhus, Hannibal, and by the Gallic barbarians over the centuries. However, the Republic always recovered and always prevailed. Highlighting some of the major conflicts, it took Rome about 250 years to gain control of the majority of Italy. Romans would defeat their neighbors, like the Latins, Samnites, Umbrians, Etruscans, and more. As Rome conquered one group after another in Italy, Rome turned defeated enemies into allies. Rome compelled these conquered peoples into bilateral treaties, an alliance. Romans were going to... Gonna make them an offer he can't refuse. 
it would have been a really bad move to refuse Rome's generous offer in this type of situation. By surrendering to the Romans, peoples like the Latins were not obliterated by the Romans, but would be defended by Rome. With these treaties, Rome and its new ally promised to back each other in times of war. Some communities would enter into treaties with Rome, not having been defeated, but seeking Rome's protection from hostile neighbors. Of course, this was not an alliance of equals. Rome controlled these communities, and the words of Frank Herbert, the ability to destroy a thing, is the absolute control over it. Rome controlled its allies because they knew to fight Rome would only bring annihilation. It was better to accept Roman rule and survive than to fight and die. So Rome's new allies couldn't negotiate with other communities without Roman approval. Furthermore, these conquered peoples couldn't affect Roman politics by voting and were considered citizens without a vote. But on a day-to-day -day basis, Rome usually left their allies alone. It was in wartime that they demanded soldiers. It was a very simple system. Rome would conquer a group of people, ask them, So which of you fine gentlemen would like to join our team? Then with new allies and new soldiers, Rome was all the more deadly in war able to conquer the next group of people, have more allies, and have more soldiers. Having conquered central Italy, Rome used its war machine to conquer southern Italy. In southern Italy, Rome conflicted with the city of Tarentum. War broke out in 281 BCE, as the Tarentines appealed to the foreign King Pyrrhus for aid. King Pyrrhus was experienced in warfare and employed mercenaries, experienced and well-paid killers, superior to the average Roman soldier. With his mercenaries, King Pyrrhus sailed to Italy to spill Roman blood with swords, bows, cavalry, and war elephants. Yet Rome's armies held their own. The Romans lost the Battle of Heraclea, the Romans retreating having lost 7,000 men, yet still capable of defense. The victorious King Pyrrhus had lost 4,000 men that he would have a harder time replacing in Italy without allies. Later, at the Battle of Asculum, the Romans retreated having lost 6,000 men and King Pyrrhus having lost around 3,500. While King Pyrrhus had his victories, the cost was so high, it was effectively defeat. After Esculum, he allegedly said, One more victory like that over the Romans will destroy us completely. It is from King Pyrrhus and his victories we have the term Pyrrhic victory. It took Romans nine years, but King Pyrrhus was fought off Italy's shores, leaving Rome to claim the city of Tarentum in 272 BCE. By 264 BCE, the Italian peninsula south of the Po River belonged to Rome. Rome had taken heavy losses, but had enough allies to win the war. The First Punic War began that same year with Carthage. If you're wondering why we call Rome's wars with Carthage the Punic Wars, thank the Phoenicians. Carthage was a Phoenician state, and the Romans called the Phoenicians Punics. Carthage equals Phoenicians equals Punic, ergo First Punic War. Carthage was a naval power out of Africa in modern Tunisia. The First Punic War lasted over 20 years, and both Rome and Carthage sustained heavy losses, estimated to the hundreds of thousands on both sides. Many were lost not in combat, but due to natural disaster at sea. Carthage was only able to hold out for so long because of the talent and tenacity of their general Hamilcar Barca. Yet Rome's violence conquered Carthage's. Rome won and gained control of Sicily, its first colony. Carthage also paid reparations, yet did not become a subject of Rome. Conflict with the Carthaginians did not end. Carthaginians began establishing power and the ability to raise forces in Spain. With sufficient strength, in 218 BCE, Hannibal Barca, son of Hamilcar, crossed southern France and over the Alps to claim revenge. He launched the Second Punic War in Rome's backyard 
and would nearly destroy the Republic. Now Hannibal Barca is a dude that your dad has probably watched a documentary on on the History Channel because Hannibal was a veritable military genius who studied and adapted to Roman tactics. Hannibal mowed down Roman armies like a weed whacker at Trebia, Whack. Tresemene, Whack. and Cannae. After Hannibal's victory at Lake Tresemene, he found himself supported by King Philip V of Macedon. After Cannae, Hannibal continued to pillage Italy, yet never attacked Rome itself. The Romans realized that Hannibal could very well destroy the Republic and declared a state of emergency. To prevent a fourth disaster and annihilated army, Quintus Fabius Maximus was appointed dictator of the Republic. Fabius was given undisputed control of the government as dictator, and Fabius even outranked the consuls. Two consuls could disagree and obstruct each other's vision, and Rome's survival was on the line. Fabius was entrusted with the power to guide Rome's survival with his vision alone. While Rome's usual battle tactics usually brought victory, in the past three battles, Hannibal had completely annihilated the armies. So, Fabius refused to directly engage Hannibal on his terms, in which Hannibal had been wildly successful. I don't want to fight you, Flash. Hannibal. I wouldn't want to fight me neither. Instead, Fabius cautiously harassed small portions of Hannibal's forces where he could and tried to make their stay in the Italian countryside as unwelcoming as possible, burning Rome's own crops to starve the Carthaginians. Rome also began attacking Carthaginian forces in Spain, disrupting their supplies and reinforcements. Publius Cornelius Scipio would rise to command Roman forces in Spain. Scipio studied Hannibal, as Hannibal had studied previous Romans. After successes in Spain, Scipio attacked the Carthaginians in Africa. Now in Hannibal's backyard, Hannibal was recalled from Italy to defend his home. On the plains of Zama, Hannibal was defeated by Scipio. Scipio was honored with the name Scipio Africanus for his heroic actions in Africa, defeating the seemingly invincible Hannibal. From Carthage, Rome gained the Carthaginian fleet, reparations, and Carthaginian territory in Spain that Scipio had captured. Rome also took land in southern France to traverse to its new Spanish colonies. Hannibal was also made to resign as general. On the plains of Zama, Rome crippled Carthage forever. Hannibal would commit suicide later in life. Having bested the Carthaginians, Rome had no rivals and was undoubtedly the greatest power in the Mediterranean. Next, Rome turned its gaze towards the eastern Mediterranean. States fell one by one as Rome gobbled them up. King Philip V of Macedon had supported Hannibal's invasion of Italy, and now Rome took its revenge. Rome expanded in the eastern Mediterranean through four wars with Macedon, war with the Seleucid Kingdom, and war with the Greek Achaean League. Rome continued to force its defeated enemies into alliances in which Rome dominated them. Rome would also go to war with Carthage a third time. This third Punic War lasted just three years, and the Carthaginians didn't stand a chance. Carthage was made into the province of Africa. In 133 BCE, the king of Pergamon died. Rather than giving his kingdom to a prince, he gave his land to the Roman Republic. Well, that was a freebie. Thus, the Roman Republic now encompassed parts of Spain, southern France, the Italian peninsula, islands like Sicily, Corsica, and Sardinia, part of northern Africa, Greece and Macedon, and into western Turkey. With adaptability, grit, and a very deep bench courtesy of its alliances, Rome was master of the Mediterranean. In summary, the Roman kingdom started as a small settlement. Shortly after the last king was expelled, the new Roman Republic began to expand. Rome forced defeated foes into bilateral treaties. The bigger Rome was the more allies Rome had. 
The more allies Rome had, the larger its armies, increasing Rome's capacity for war. It was a feedback loop of violent conquests that had probably led to the deaths of tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people. And it worked pretty well for like hundreds of years. Rome's many allies and soldiers is what allowed Romans to keep fighting great threats like King Pyrrhus and Hannibal, who despite their many victories couldn't break Rome's alliances and allowed Rome to drive them off. While communities lost some autonomy entering into a treaty with the Republic, they gained protection from what was quickly becoming the most powerful state in the Mediterranean. With bilateral treaties, Rome conquered the Italian peninsula, bested Carthage in three Punic Wars, and by 133 BCE, Rome was large and in charge of the Mediterranean. Its territory expanded both east and west. Many have said that Roman Republic was an empire before it was the Roman Empire. It was looking rather imperial. A large land area containing a diverse number of people, it only lacked a leading figure, an emperor. But as time wore on, and the Republic decayed and corrupted, an emperor would rise out of the bloodshed, and have... Our essential question for this episode was, how did the Roman Republic become so powerful? Take a second to pause and reflect if you'd like. In short, the Republic was so powerful because, one by one, it defeated its neighbors until no one was powerful enough to threaten it. Rome was powerful because it had a gigantic pool of manpower from alliances with their former enemies, who now enjoyed the safety of the Republic, but lacked the right to vote. Before we chronologically proceed in Rome's history, Following characters like the Gracchi, Marius, and Sulla, we're going to further examine important cultural factors in Rome that are present in the Republic's history thus far. Ideas from this episode and more will be discussed in further depth next week. We'll see how the Republic actually operated and how it was propped up on a broken foundation that would one day break, leading to violence, civil wars, and the Republic's evolution into empire. If you were having a hard time visualizing what the Republic and its territories looked like at this time, I don't blame you. As a resource to help, you can follow the show on Twitter, at D-O-T-R-R-Pod, for some visuals. I'll be tweeting out some pictures, maps, and representations of Roman expansion. There's also Roman history memes, updates, and other random stuff. Also feel free to tweet Roman history memes to the show. Again, you can find the show at D-O-T-R-R-Pod on Twitter. Come for the facts, stay for the fun. Feel free to subscribe and rate and review the show on platforms like Apple Podcasts. If you'd like to contact the show via email, you can email dotrrpod at gmail.com. That's dotrrpod at gmail.com to contact the show. Thank you for listening. All that said, friends, Romans, countrymen, I hope you enjoyed the show. (laughs) 